is a reading from God's Word, Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Fourteen years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders, for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. As for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God is not judged by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hello, my name is George O'Hyatt, and that was, and I'm short. Uh, I'm the associate pastor here at Christ Central, uh, and Pastor Howard is not here over on that side. Um, if he got any major issues, pastoral issues, come talk to me. He's still off for another 24 hours or so. so. Uh, um, let me confuse you for a second. Um, uh, here you go. Catholic, Greek, Greek Orthodox, sorry, Coptic, Russian Orthodox, Anglican, Episcopalian, Reformed, Presbyterian, that's EPC, uh, ARP, PCUSA, PCA. Those are all P's, though the Presbyterians, different types. Uh, we've got Methodist, we've got Baptist, that's Southern, General, National, American, Missionary. We've got uh, the African Methodist Episcopal Church, and then the African Methodist Episcopal Zion Church. There you go, how about you? Uh, you've got Charismatics, which are everything from uh, the Vineyard Fellowship to, uh, to uh, Foursquare. You've got Pentecostals, Brethren, Congregationalists, Interdenominational, Non-Denominational, We Are Our Own Denomination, Denominational. We've got everything. Church divisions are rough. They're kind of uh, they're kind of tough. Uh, if you're new to Christianity, let me just say this: I am sorry, because <laughs> we get to bickering and fussing and fighting it, and it gets kind of nasty kind of quick. Um, but there's also some beauty to this. Uh, you'll see that there's this kind of uh, push in this passage uh, between an intensity, an intense desire for unity, and an intense desire desire for truth. And, uh, and those things are, are, are one hand and the other hand as we walk through Christianity together. Now, by no means is God intended for us to have that many denominations in the world. Uh, but some of the instincts for it are not 
all bad. But most of them are, honestly. Uh, we uh, have a conflict over anything. Usually it's, uh, it's some type of arrogance that brings uh, about uh, uh, the, the way we go about f- fussing and fighting. Um, there are untold costs and aches and pains. I was reared in the Catholic Church. Um, I was long theologically not Catholic before I was able to actually leave the Catholic Church. My mother is uh, uh, Maria Morandini from Italy. You don't, you know, you're an Italian Catholic. You just are an Italian Catholic. It just doesn't happen. It's a cultural reality as well as a theological reality. And so for me to stop being part of the Catholic Church was was rough. Um, uh, we had lots of long conversations. Anyway, untold eggs. By the way, she's in the PCA. Now. She's in the, my denomination now. Go figure. Uh, 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 but uh, debates, and uh, we actually had a debate. We had uh, while uh, a debate in our own uh, general assembly, which is the gathering of all Presbyterian Church in America folk. And uh, there was this debate, and it was a debate over a report about some uh, really a minority view within our um, in, within our denomination. And the, the report itself said uh, that we were that these brothers in Christ were outside of the normal view of, of the of our standards, and so they needed to come back inside or go to another denomination. But they called them brothers. And there was something really beautiful about that. There's, you know, they weren't saying these guys have lost their marbles or anything like that. But in the debates themselves, there were words being thrown around like heretic and deniers of the gospel and all this other kind of, you know, wild and, and crazy language and rhetoric that gets thrown about because that's just what we do. Our divisions are not all pure. They're not all good. Uh, it is true uh, that, that, that they were probably there's some probably really wrong things involved in that little minority view. But to throw the whole baby out with the bathwater and call them heretics is is tough. Now here's the different thing about where we are today in this passage. And I've told you we've told you the last couple of weeks that these are going to be a few more te- a little bit more teachy than normal for Christ Central. So we're going to go through these first two chapters of uh of Galatians with a little more uh pedagogy, if you will, a little bit more Sunday schooly. So uh we're going to do some background uh again. Uh but the conflict is this. There's these people called the Judaizers. And uh they're fussing in Galatia with the Galatians and Paul's trying to pastor them and he's realizing that uh, they're actually denying what he's saying and they're saying uh something a little bit more they're trying to say that the gospel requires a little bit more than uh, than uh, just trust in Christ, but trust in Christ and um, and uh, and following the uh, the uh, Mosaic law. So circumcision and the Old Testament rules and regulations and things like that. And so there's these Judaizers, right? And uh, um, and it's really important that you say this. It's not just a good idea to do it. What they're saying is you don't go to heaven. Unless you aren't saved or born again, unless you're circumcised uh, or are following all the Old Testament law, uh, uh, jot and tittle, every part of it. Um, And so in order to be in Christ, you have to be culturally Jewish as well. And it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a Jesus plus theology that we talked about. Jesus plus something else. Uh, And remember, all the Judaizers are saying you can't trust Paul. And so his whole deal is I'm an apostle. I'm going to tell you uh, what's true because I'm an apostle. And we talked about what a strict definition was of apostle. And we said is an apostle is one who is who has seen and been commissioned by the risen Christ. Seen, who has seen Jesus risen and was commissioned by Jesus risen, uh, the risen Jesus. And we said... So by definition, that means nowadays we don't have apostles by that stricter definition of the term. Um, anyway, and he argues it in two ways. We talked about that. The first way he says is the gospel was revealed to me directly. That The Holy Spirit just went and like 
told me what was going on. And then he said, which was the really beautiful passage, last, last part about last uh, week's passage, was that it was actually not just proved or revealed in, uh, to me, but also in me. Because I was, uh, I was a bad dude who hated Christians, a jihadist against Christianity, and now I'm an apostle, been changed and delivered in to one who actually uh, uh, proclaims it to the world. Okay. So what he was doing was, what he was saying was, with this kind of uh, revelation thing, was he was establishing his independence as an apostle. What is he going to do this week is a little bit different. He's going to keep his independence saying, not independent in terms of like self-reliant, but independent in terms of, I didn't get it from anyone else. I don't have a third-hand gospel here. I, I didn't get it from anybody else. But he's also going to talk about his harmony, his relationship with, uh, the confirmation of the other apostles agreeing with him about what the gospel is. And this is important because the Judaizers, remember, are always kind of going, da, 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 talking about how you have to do all this other stuff uh, to be saved, to be rescued, to be, uh, to be in Christ. You have to have all these other things. So what, but what interesting thing he does, instead of talking about how the gospel has been uh, spoken to me directly, which he does a little bit here, and, and saying how it's been, how it's been, uh, revealed in me by my, by who I was and now who I am now. He actually tells a story about something he did. But this story is still part of the argument. Hey, I'm an apostle. You need to listen to me. Not because I need to be listened to because I'm really important. I need to win the argument. Because the gospel is at stake. The truth factor is at stake. Uh, and we need to get that straight. So, it's a compelling story, an argumentative story, a narrative discussion story. And, uh, um, and, uh, so there's that, and then we're gonna talk about that story, and then we're gonna talk about the significance, uh, for our day and age. So the first part's gonna be pretty, again, teachy, and then we'll talk about us and what that means and who we are and what relation is that. Alright? Let's go to the story. First deal is that Paul goes to Jerusalem. This is his second trip. And you'll see it here in one. Fourteen years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. But I did... Now, everybody knows what Gentiles is. Gentiles are people who aren't Jewish. It's kind of like, uh, well, like when I grew up Catholic, there was Catholics and there was Protestants. It didn't matter. All y'all were all the same thing. They were just not Catholic, right? So the same thing is within the Jewish framework of this community. You're either Jewish or not Jewish, which means most y'all. Most of y'all, some of you may have some Jewish in you, but then you're not. You're, you know, you'd be part of the Jewish. So Gentile means everybody who's not Jewish. All right. Uh, so I preach among the Gentiles, but I did this privately to those who were who seemed to be elder leaders for fear I was running or had run my race in vain. Okay, two reasons why he goes. Why is he going? Well, first of all, God tells him to go. Uh, he, is, he he says in a revelation. Okay, I. I am told, I was revealed to God, that whisper thing. Remember, he's an apostle again. God told me to do this. He wasn't summoned. He wasn't, uh, he didn't come on the authority of other people talking. God told him to. Now, a great thing about his independence is independence under God, not independence from God as an apostle. But then here's the other reason. Look at this kind of nervous phrase here. He says, I was, um, for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. There's an anxiety about this meeting, about running in vain. Now, there's a way to interpret this wrongly. One would be this. I was worried that I was preaching all the wrong stuff for the last 14 years. That's kind of what a, a kind of first read might read it. But that's really off because he's been quite confident that he'd been revealed the right stuff all this time. The deal is this. Remember when he talked about truth and unity? What he was worried about is that 
he wasn't just preaching, he was establishing churches. And that these churches would be disunited uh, because of what was going on all this time if these Judaizers then and, and or now uh, come in and start uh, 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 messing up the place. What he's looking for, what, he's, what, he's, what he wants to have is to make sure that there's a unity of voice among the apostles. Uh, not because he's scared that it's not going to, it's not that he's scared that he thinks his is wrong, not that he's even scared that the other apostles, uh, um, would be wrong, but that he's scared and nervous that these Judaizers may come in, uh, and, uh, and, and bring this untruth, or as he says later in the passage, these false witnesses would come in and, and, and mess up the gospel. So that's what he's talking about. That's what the, the running of the race in vain is. Um, uh, so, th- this actually happened in, Church history, if you would, could turn your, your Bibles in Acts 15, which is later on, it actually retells the story about what's happening here. And the, all it is, is if, because I'm a Presbyterian, it was the first Presbytery meeting ever. Um, uh, and, uh, or maybe the first, first Baptist conference, I don't know. But it was the first meeting of all the elders that got together, and they asked, they were asking this one question. Do you need to be circumcised? Do you need to, do you need to uh, submit to the law of Moses in order to be saved? Same question that's going on here 14 years uh, uh, afterward, or a couple years after after this meeting. And they come up with the decision, of course, that no, that's not the case. This is why, basically, you and I are uh, are still here, or are here at all. Um, but uh, but but that's what's, go- that's what's going on. Okay, so that's why he's going. Now, here's what he brings. He brings two friends, and he brings the gospel. His first friend is Barnabas. And Barnabas was kind of the E.F. Hutton of the of the early church. E.F. Hutton? Gosh, depending on how old you are, you'll get this or not. E.F. Hutton was the guy that everybody talks to. When, it, when he talks, everybody listens. No, so that's a half of you. Okay, he's Switzerland. <laughs> he's kind of the neutral party everybody likes. I'm trying. Okay, uh, he, he gets everybody, he likes everybody, everybody digs him. He's actually one of the first people to actually introduce Paul, who everybody was scared of. Remember, he was the Jewish jihadist, right? He, everybody was scared of him. He's the first person who braved actually a meeting with Peter uh, to go hang out with uh, Paul and then bring him to Peter and all the other guys in, uh, in Jerusalem to kind of hang out. He had actually traveled with Paul and traveled with Peter and the other guys. And so he was he knew everybody, he knew everybody's story firsthand. So Paul, being no poor politician that he is, brings... Um, Switzerland with him, um, or how about Raymond? Everybody likes, everybody loves him. Uh, uh, and anyway, he, he, that's who he brings. But then he brings somebody else, and this is amazing. He brings Titus. Titus is an uncircumcised Greek Christian. Uncircumcised Greek Christian. What's the fuss over? Whether or not you have to be circumcised or not. Who does he bring? He says, if we're going to fuss about this, if we're going to work on this, I'm, if you don't think a Christian that can be Greek and uncircumcised, I'm bringing one. I'm bringing one. Not just anyone. A guy I, I call, and later in the scriptures, my son in the spirit. One who I've discipled myself. One who has becomes a leader in the church at Crete and other places. Uh, this is Titus. I'm bringing I love what he's doing here. Uh, I think about the tension. Poor Titus. He's got to be the example. Uh, uh, that, you know, that comes in. And, uh, so Titus, 
what kind of nerve? Are they going to reject him? Which part? How much of the Judaizers have infiltrated yet? How much and how strong? What's going on? And, uh, and, uh, it reminds me of one time, Howard and I always talk about, uh, going and doing things together. And we have kind of running jokes of this is like, you can get in on my whiteness or I get in on his blackness, you know, depending on different things we go to. And one time, uh, one time we, he went to, uh, to a, a spoken word concert and I was like, or, uh, uh, uh spoken word performance. And, uh, he goes to those all the time. So I've, I've talked about going before with one, one to him. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there was this one. He talked about it being amazing and whatever. And he was, and I said, Hey, how about we go into that one? He was going, yeah, I don't know if you're going to make it up in that one. That, <laughs> um, he goes, it's not you. It's not you. I was like, I know, man. I'm not going to worry about it. And, uh, um, uh, so anyway. Uh, that it has that kind of feel to it a little bit. It, like, am I going to be accepted here? Is this going to be okay? What's going to happen? And I want you to realize the amazing way in which Paul is, is arguing, if you will. He's storytelling, the way he's living out the gospel. This is no abstraction. This is no principal way of thinking only. This is an embodied gospel. There's a person in here, in the flesh, in a little bit more flesh than they expect him to have. If, yeah, never mind. Uh, he's un- <laughs> uncircumcised, right. Um, if we're <laughs> what? Circumcision jokes, they're always funny. Um, If we're going to fuss about this, we're not going to talk about abstractions. We're going to talk about people, individual people with real flesh and blood. That's what's going to drive our theological discussion. That's what's going to be about. And that's what he brings about in terms of the next thing he brings. Not just, um, not just a Greek, but a gospel large enough for the Greeks. So he lays it out before him. He just says, here's the deal. Here's what I've been preaching for the last 14 years. And he does it in private so as not to cause a big, even a bigger stink in the church. He does it to the leaders um, of the church, later called the pillars of the community, uh, the, the, the uh, original apostles. And he says this, And before them, the go- uh, uh, I set before them the gospel I preach among the Gentiles. Basically, Paul tells the leaders what he's been preaching. And I'm going to do a little bit of summary of what Paul teaches throughout his, uh, his, his books so that you get a feel of what he is preaching and what he laid out before them. But here's Paul's major preaching. Jesus is Lord and Jesus is Savior, which means that he is king, that he rules, not Caesar, not the Sanhedrin, but Jesus rules in this kind of upside-down peaceful kingdom that invades the heart for peace, for shalom. He's the king and ruler of all things. And we need to submit to that reign. We need to give up and yield to that reign over him. But he's not just king or lord, as it were. He is savior as well. This is, means that he is, uh, that his life and death and resurrection are given to us. He is a priest that offers himself as the offering to God for the wrath that comes, uh, that, that would come if he did not do it, for, that we would, we would take on our own if he did not do it for us. He is a substitute for us, rescuing us from our sin and rebellion that deserves God's wrath. He died for our sins. That's the gospel. He is Lord and Savior. That's what he's been preaching. He says this, that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of, of God. One commentator wrote this, add the, 
add your race, socioeconomic, gender, and culture uh, do not determine your relationship with God, not your Jewishness or your non-Jewishness. You want to know a really bizarre thing? Is that later in the story, uh, not this story, but in another story, Paul actually gets somebody to get circumcised, not because he already knows that he's not, mer- he's not thinking about it in terms of merit. He does it for the sake of evangelism. He actually tells Timothy, go ahead and get circumcised. That's cool. It, we, I know you don't think it's actually going to merit anything before God. That's no problem. We'll do it. I know that it's not circumcision or not not circumcision that actually rescues you. It's Jesus alone. So you can do circumcision or not circumcision. It doesn't matter. What is the gospel? It is God who's provided salvation to man through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And this salvation can be given to anyone, Greek or Jew. It does not matter whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're slave or free, whether you're male or female, whether you are, as the commentator said, Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, or Catholic. The way of salvation is the same through Christ Jesus, who is Lord and Savior. He brought two things. He brought a Gentile and he brought a gospel big enough for the Gentiles. Not two gospels, the same gospel and gets affirmed later. But there is this tension point. These infiltrators, as well, you will, keep, if you read in, um, in verse 4, this, this matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain within you. They were, the, the matter that comes up is whether or not Titus has to be circumcised or not. And Paul is not going to back down. Remember, these false teachers are trying to add something to what it means to be a Christian other than that. It is Christ plus the Mosaic law. And he calls them false brethren, basically liars, people who are, of the, are, false, who are teaching falsehoods. They are not believers in his mind. They are pretending to be or, um, or, 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 or messing with what true belief is. And they snuck into the church. And they have a secret mission to enslave them again. Jesus actually talks like this a lot. He says this about the Pharisees who maybe, uh, maybe it's fair, maybe it's not fair to call them somewhat equivalent within their systems. But um, uh, he describes this kind of, uh, and they tie up heavy loads, Jesus says, and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. I don't know what your experience is with kind of religious extras, the pluses to the gospel that get you saved. But if you're like me, whether it's uh, uh, getting your tithe exactly right or someone's going to check up on you, or whether it's um, uh, 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 don't drink or don't smoke or don't chew or girl with girls who do, or if it's um, uh, chew, yeah, chew, I think that's how it works. Um, uh, whether it's uh, service to the poor, all the good, there are a lot of good things in the gospel that get added to the, that get added to the gospel as somehow meriting us and all the meriting our favor before the Lord. And it, it, it undermines the gospel itself. Good behavior, good things flow from the beauty of the gospel. They can't be attached to the gospel uh, as somehow getting us right before God. Nothing, nothing in our hands that we bring, nothing, only to the cross we cling. That's, that's the gospel. And anything else just burdens us down and enslaves us and, uh, and, and takes its toll on us. And they didn't give them a moment to even talk about it. Not just no, but heck no. You are all wrong. I'm sorry, this isn't going to work. That's what Paul's saying. Not a moment. Why? So that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. Again, 
a, a pastoral concern. He's not talking principles so you get the truth of the gospel right so that you can get it right on the test. But I don't want you to live in that burden anymore. I want you to continue to experience that freedom that, that was started in you and that needs to remain in you. Salvation through faith alone is at stake. And Paul was not going to move. Maybe this is the good side of pursuing truth. He's always tried to pursue unity, but now he wants to pursue truth. And what do the apostles do? Well, first they say uh, uh, that Titus is not compelled in any way uh, to be circumcised, even though he was Greek. And what he's doing now is he's telling that story about, hey, look, the gospel won. This is a triumph of the gospel. We don't have to do this anymore. And you guys, you here sitting here are a triumph of that gospel. If you are not Jewish, this is, a, this is God's answer and triumph in your lives right here and right now. What was one and was at stake there. And the other apostles kind of did the same thing. They, they had nothing to add to his gospel. They said, we don't add anything to it at all. Those men added nothing to my message, it says in 6. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, those are the pillars of the community, the uh, original apostles, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. The right hand of fellowship isn't, you know... Hey, great to see you. It is a, is a sign of, 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 of loyalty and commitment and the unity that they're pursuing. The unity that they are together, that they are the same. And then they sent them out. They, they uh, agreed that they should go to the Gentiles, that we should go to the Gentiles and that, that they would continue to go to the Jews. They shook hands, the right hand of fellowship. They recognized his particular ministry at that time in history that he was an apostle to the Gentiles. All right, let's talk about the significance. That's the story he tells the Galatians. So what? I want to talk to you about three things. One, the words, I've, I've had trouble with these words, so let's just do them like this. Translation, confirmation, and clarification. Everyone better be clear, huh? Um, translation. Do you know that Christianity is a bizarre religion? Our holy book is written in four languages. Over 1,500 years, or not 1,500 years, over, uh, oh yeah, close to 1,500 years. Multi-generational, dozens of cultures, and all sorts of different types of people groups. Kingdom people, uh, 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 nomads, slaves, exiles. When the, the gospel goes forth, contextualized, embodied in real people, in Greeks and in Jews. It reminds me of, because I've become a great connoisseur of Buzz Lightyear lately, because I have a four-year-old son, of the shape stealer. Now you may know or may not know who the shape stealer is. But the shape stealer is, uh, is uh, 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 well, evil Emperor Zerg. Yeah, yes, thank you very much. Evil Emperor Zerg is always trying to get Buzz and the rest of the Star Command. And so he invented this shape stealer thing. And what it does is it actually goes in and embodies somebody. So it could be, um, it could be uh, Buzz Lightyear himself or one of his buddies. And what happens, the only way you know it's different is that their eyes change red. 
but they all turn evil. He steals the shape of them, and he comes in, he does it. This is actually a light cartoon, by the way. I know it sounds kind of rough, like Invasion of the Body Snatchers or something like that. But it's not quite that. Anyway, that's what Christianity does. It actually changes your eyes. It embodies you. It changes your eyes into a beautiful thing. They're not red and mean, and they're bright and beautiful. But, but it actually embodies cultures and people. And it starts changing them from the inside out in a good way. It, um, uh, it is, um, it is, it is a translation. It is a contextualization that, that, that Christianity does. It comes in and embodies itself into a culture. So to talk about mere Christianity or just an essence of Christianity, though you can say that, you need to know that it always gets embodied in details and people. That's why Christians from all sorts of different cultures would be scratching their heads. You know, people in Russia, um, uh, when, when there was a big revival in Russia, they couldn't think, why would you ever, ever smoke if you were a Christian? It was so tied to the Communist Party at the time and so tied to... And, 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 uh, and over drinking was so tied to that Christians were defined by not smoking and not drinking. Well, if you go to Scotland, it's kind of the opposite. You know, uh, scotch and pipes is the way to go if you're going to be a Christian. I mean, that's just kind of the way it is. Well, if you're in Italy, it's no, you know, they, neither here nor there. I, I'm not saying, um, I'm not saying that those are wrong things to do in certain times. I'm saying once the gospel gets in someone's heart and it gets into a culture, it changes and it makes things, uh, it, it, it embodies you, but then it, it, the manifestations of the way it looks, uh, is totally different sometimes. Sometimes even seemingly contradictory, but they're not if the heart is right. That's why Paul can say to, Say, Titus, no way he is. There's no way Titus is ever getting circumcised. Timothy, it's okay if you get circumcised because I know the deal and you're, I know who you're going to go try to reach. It embodies a culture. You know what that should require in us? Great humility. This is my hope for Christ Central Church as we operate in other churches and other places, even in our own denomination, that we would have this impulse of humility towards our brothers and sisters around the world. That we would have us kind of slow it down and not take the banner of truth first, but just listen and learn, keeping the banner of truth with, with us, but listening and learning. That we would have an impulse to do that. That we would, we would be thinking about every culture we walk into, which is every home you ever walk into, you'd be thinking about how the gospel is going to manifest there. <laughs> There's all sorts of frustrations and church fights that we're talking about, and they're all about, you know... Um, uh, like worship wars or something like that. And I mean, I was at a, a function the other day and says, do you guys have contemporary music? And I was like, contemporary to what century? Everybody's got contemporary music. Everybody embodies it. It's, it. Everybody has the music of their choice and they try to do it in a way that honors the Lord. We would have a humility towards each other, a care for each other, that we would really, really realize that the Lord is working through cultures and people. The th- next thing I wanted is to talk about a confirmation. You have this translation, which should be encouraging, and then a confirmation. So you're reading your Bible, and you come across this great scripture, and you feel like you really understand it in some amazing way, like you've never heard before. The first thing you should be is nervous. I had a guy tell me one time out over lunch, Listen, I think I understand baptism now. I was like, that's great. He's like, no, no. I mean, I think everybody's been wrong before now. The Baptists are wrong and so are the Presbyterians. Those who want to do infant baptism, they're completely wrong. And so are the people who do it. There's another way forward. And I thought to myself, self, you've got to be kidding me. 
This has been studied for 2,000 years. You and your smart son. The guy was pretty smart. Don't get me wrong. But you should be nervous. We should be looking for confirmation. Y'all know the story, the story of a, a people who did this at the turn of the last century, two centuries ago, um, where um, uh, they locked themselves in a room to figure out what the Bible really teaches. They locked themselves in a room. It was a Bible student's Bible fellowship or something like that. Uh, and they were in Pittsburgh and they locked themselves in a room with two or three people and they just kind of went after it. And they just dug into it and dug into it and dug into it and dug into it. You know what they emerged with? That's the Jehovah's Witnesses. They denied the Trinity. They denied the deity of Christ. Um, they denied hell. If you come up with something theologically innovative, beware. Ask someone. It doesn't mean we shouldn't look and try to figure out what it is, but beware and ask someone. If you're reading a great Donald Miller book and you're ready to change your life by it, ask somebody. Talk to your pastors, other people, Christians. Think about it a little bit more. Not just Donald Miller. It could be any kind of book. But we need to be looking for uh, confirmation of, of the apostles' teaching. Just because John Elder says to go sell your stuff and go climb a mountain doesn't mean you're supposed to necessarily go climb a mountain. There's nothing wrong with going to climb a mountain. That's a good thing. But you just got to be careful. And not just other Christian authors. There's other things that we need, as especially in our church, that we need to be thinking about what it means to, to be confirmed with the scriptures. Um, uh, uh, um, you know, we have plenty of people who are... Do, do we ask the question, does the way I'm thinking line up with scripture? Does it line up with the church's teaching? Is the way I'm thinking about humanity, is the way I'm thinking about economics, not that the Bible teaches it, a clear economic policy, but economics or anything else, the way I think about culture, is that in any way informed by anybody else other than me? Do we need, we're, see, we're not Apostle Paul. We didn't receive from revelation directly in our ear. We have not seen the risen Christ uh, or been commissioned by him. So we learn from each other. We learn deeply in church history and in other ways and with each other, and with our pastors and elders and we come back and we go, okay, let's learn. Let's, let's come reason together. Again, this should be a great posture of kindness and humility that we should be careful and, and, uh, and loving and, 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 uh, and, and, and slow to speak too quickly about what we've learned in some ways so that we can get it confirmed within the, the greater community. And I mean this not just for us as individuals, but even us as a church. But lastly, and the most important thing, is that this story that Paul's telling ends with clarification. Clarification of the gospel in word and deed. Listen to this. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. And they asked, and all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. In fact, some commentaries think that actually Paul was in Jerusalem this time uh, for a call to care for the poor. Uh, and that's why he was there this time. But um, here's the deal. This story teaches us that when living out the gospel, we live out the gospel in word and in deed. And I think we do two ways on this way that kind of mess us up. Sometimes, uh, for unity's sake, we, we'd say, well, let's not worry about that theological stuff. Let's not worry about all that true stuff. Let's, can't we just have a kumbaya gospel and us all get along? Can't we just be nice? Kind of a be nice gospel? Just come on. Hold hands. Just hang out. But other times... We betray all unity 
as if it weren't true. And we say, the only thing is, is that truth matters. And so we're sectarian and angry and mad, and we're going to fuss because the Gospels that say get every turn, goodness gracious, any argument, the whole thing is uh, it's, it's all going to go down. Right? There's got to be a third way. And the third way is the way Paul tells the story and the way that Paul is the story. He brings Titus. It's an embodied word and deed ministry. He says exactly what he's going to say. And with patience and kindness and desire for unity. He could have gone off and done his own thing, but he desired unity. So he was patient with his brothers and sisters. That's our story too. They sent Paul out to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Here's the good news of this whole story. Is that you and I are the recipients of that very gospel. Jesus is Lord and Savior to us. You understand that this is a miraculous event right here. That if this would have gone down a different way, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be here in this way. Or we'd be here uh, garbed in in completely ethnocentric uh, 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 clothing and and ethnocentric uh, uh, um, activities. But Jesus has come to all people not requiring of us anything for salvation other than trust in him. That's what was at stake here. This is the truth that's at stake. This is the clarity that was brought. That by word and deed, by this preaching of the word and this caring for the poor, that we live out this gospel, but that that gospel will be lived out in us. It's effective. It changes us. We are the poor who he is taking care of. And we're the ones preached to, that he is charged by the risen Christ to do. We're the recipients of this, not just the practitioners of it. We are the great, we're the people who he has in mind when he's fussing that you would be able to understand and continue in the gospel that I preach. This is Paul's legacy to us. You are the proof of what's going on here. You are the proof of the power of the gospel, the fact that he is an apostle in Christ. You, Church of Christ, mostly Gentiles, you are his beloved bride who stay in the gospel because of who God is. And you are the proof and the glory of what he's intending to preach. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that that you sent Paul to, to pursue unity and truth at the same time. We thank you that uh, that you you had us in mind, or he had someone like us in mind when he was fighting these fights and fussing these fusses. I thank you that you have been gracious and powerful to pursue your people, to call them to yourself, to draw them to you, not because anything that's in them, not their ethnicity, not their Jewishness or non-Jewishness, but because of you, Jesus Christ, alone. We thank you for that. In your name, amen.